Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Twice a week, Musa and I talk about the goings-on in men's and women's football around Europe and sometimes around the world. We like to zoom in, we like to zoom out, we like to make some silly references. So if you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Think we got it? Yeah, that's good. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome to the Bringer NFL Sunday Recap Show. Sunday of week nine, believe it or not, is in the books. We are here as always with Stephen Ruiz. Happy Sunday, Stephen. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate it. You doing this okay, the first buddy? Time are you confused f- by the, the preface? Yeah, it's the first time anyone's ever wished me a happy Sunday, I have to admit, in life. Benjamin Zolak, who you just heard, obviously here as well. Kind of a, a, a barn burner? question mark on Sunday night football Chiefs Titans the Chiefs sure. win 20 to 17 in overtime I, I guess because of the low scoring I'm I'm putting the question mark at the end of barn burner but certainly a really really interesting game Malik Willis gets the start for Tennessee felt like this was shaping up for a Titans upset for a while but then Mahomes in a game where the Chiefs only scored 20 points in overtime Mahomes goes over 400 yards for the second game in a row also accounts for 63 out of 77 of Kansas City's rushing yards. Just like a let's make the whole plane out of Patrick Mahomes-esque offense for the Chiefs. Ben, what was your top takeaway from this one? Uh, this Titans defense is awesome and deserved a win tonight, man. Like they they played lights out, as you brought up, like, like counting stats-wise. Mahomes put up a ton of numbers, attempted 68 passes on the day, just like, you know, the, the Chiefs held, I, I want to say they had upwards of 88 plays in this game. They doubled up the, the Titans there by, by the, the end of their drive in overtime. This Titans defense was put ter- through the ringer in terms of the amount of plays they had to endure. Yeah, 91 total plays for the Chiefs as opposed to 48 for the Titans. They had to be on, they were on the field for 41 total minutes, including overtime. I mean, it is extremely difficult to withstand this Chiefs attack for that long, right? Like the defensive approach against the Chiefs usually only works when your team's running game is good enough to equal out time of possession for you. Eventually, you just run out of gas. Right. And that was the that was the nature of that overtime drive. It's just, we're just, too, we've been out here for too long. Like, the second they lost the coin flip, it's just like, oh my gosh, we just got to go out there again against the same right. beat offense that runs you around and Mahomes out of the pocket. But when from quarter one to that final touchdown drive there at the end of quarter four, man, for, for so long tonight, this Titans defense got the timely sacks, had the the, the contested points at the, at the catch point. They matched routes beautifully. Uh, and, and Chris Collinsworth bemused during the broadcasting. How a coverage sack <laughs> after coverage sack after coverage sack. How are they on everything? This team covers so 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 well. We talked about this on the Friday preview show. They just have such a great prescience for where routes are going to develop. They know where Kelsey wants to get. They know where Juju wants to get. They know where Mahomes wants to get them. They just are so well coached. Christian Fulton, great game. David Long playing well. Kevin Byard up on, 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 on Travis Kelsey. Josh Kalu on Travis Kelsey. They're deep. Such a good defensive performance. And then no Harold Landry entering the game. No Bud Dupree in the middle of the game. Mario Edwards having the game of his life. Tier Tart up the middle. Like they just got dudes on dudes. Everybody here can rush. Everybody can cover. Such a great unit that absolutely 100% deserve to win this game. Play their tails off. And that's what, that's what powered this Titans winning streak. And that's what's going to power their win of the AFC South. It's just this defense is for real. Yeah, you mentioned Bayard. I mean, I... 
they are so good on Kelsey, and I think him in particular, because they get hands on him at the line of scrimmage. Yep. They just disrupt him so early. He still ends up with 10 catches for 106. But if you think of the the volume of plays and how much he is the focal point for them, I thought that was one of the most impressive things that the Titans did all evening. And it, it almost, I mean, it doesn't feel like they won this game, but it almost does because it's Mahomes throwing for 400 yards. They go to overtime and this team, and and we should talk about Malik Willis, that has like minus two passing yards in the entire second half is somehow clawing their way to still be in it. It's like unbelievable. I, I, I wish we could be talking about a Titans win here because it sort of feels like they deserve it. But yeah. alas and alack, uh, Mr. Malik Willis, not um, starting under ideal circumstances here. Ryan Tannehill has an ankle injury and took some warm-ups even. So I'm curious to see what we hear about kind of the timeline of when they were sure that Tannehill wasn't going to be able to go because it didn't seem like they changed their offense all that much or as much as you would expect for a quarterback with such a different skill set. Steven, what did you think about the Titans' offense and how they tried or didn't try to to design this game plan for Willis. Yeah, there was an uh, anecdote from Chris Collinsworth during the game where he said something to Ooh, Mike Vrabel anecdote. during during production meetings about how he was kind of surprised they didn't run more zone read because Malik Willis was so good at it at Liberty. And Mike Vrabel apparently got defensive and was like, what are you talking about? We ran, so, we ran plenty of zone read last week. But that was my takeaway from the Houston game was they didn't r- really change right. the, the running game. And it made some sense because Derrick Henry likes particular styles of runs that usually come from under center. And he's had so much success against Houston. But I thought in this game, if they knew Malik, and, and who knows if they knew Malik was going to start the game, like Ryan Tannehill's playing status was up in the air. I thought there would be more of an adjustment to the offense and there just wasn't. Like there were a couple zone reads and Malik had one where he kept it and they got called back. I think he ran for like 15 yards. But beyond that part of the offense, mm-hmm. like the passing game, I, I like it looked ugly for the most part, but when they were throwing deep passes, vertical shots downfield outside the numbers, like it looked like they had a chance every time he threw that pass. Yeah, Chris Conley had a very catchable, well-targeted go ball in the first half and the second half. It wasn't a perfect ball, but Nick Westbrook-Akina got two hands on it inside the 10-yard line, right? Like, if you get one catch on a downfield catchable throw that Malik Willis made, this is a two-score game after the fourth quarter. So a touchdown plus a two-point conversion doesn't tie the game. We're probably talking about a Titans win in regulation. Yeah. So there's there's a there are a lot of things to talk about in this, the way the Titans designed the passing game, the way they designed the running game relative to the passing game, the way that they drafted a quarterback in the third round, knew all week that he'd potentially have to start for them and seemed to put no thought into designing an offense around what he does well. There's a lot to talk about there. But also the Titans <laughs> just make one catch, right? You have like a healthy Traylon Burks in this game. You have any functional free agent receivers who aren't brought into the building just because they're really good blockers. You get one of these catches, you're probably going to win yeah. this football game. And that's kind of the, the, the do or die of the way the Titans build this team. They would like, AJ Brown was getting some tweets off. Yeah, good for him. Which I respect. It's not exactly fair, but AJ Brown was getting some tweets off. Let the record show. If you're going to see your ex face planting on national television, I you best be tweeting. They weren't face planting though. This is like, oh no 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 no. Yes, they were relative to AJ Brown's scope, which is how are the receivers playing? And the answer is a receiver did not catch a pass. Fair. In AJ Brown's Fair. world, this is like a forty-five to nothing shutout. The reason what why was I'm kind of the, the Stephen, go ahead. I was going to say the reason why I'm like disappointed is because of how good this coaching staff is and how much faith I have in it in putting together a game plan. Mahomes said it in the the interview after the game, like this team is just so good at game planning. I don't think it carried over to the offensive side, but we saw it on defense, and I like Ben covered it already. They're just on everything. They understand the leverages of like what kind of route concepts the Chiefs want to run and they put their cornerbacks like against the leverage of that co- particular concept. And it's the right 90% of the time. Well, I, w- I watched the uh, last year's game between these two for Friday's pod. And my f- comment to Ben was, my first question is, how did the t- Titans know all of the Chiefs play calls? Yeah. They had how to have Shane known. Bowen it, get the play sheet it from looked like it tonight too. pregame? Like they have to be like tapped into his headset or Andy Reid's headset or something because they're on every single play. And it, it just stands out. Even when you're watching without the benefit of all 22, you could see it. And you saw Mahomes 
at the end, he realized, look, they're winning the defensive call every single time, and we don't have the dudes that we used to have. Tyreek is who I'm talking about. I'm going to have to take this into my own hands and create on my own. And that's why you need a quarterback like this. Because when the other, the other team's going to win some play calls, they're going to out-game plan you some weeks. And if you don't have a quarterback who can do stuff like this, and I'm not saying at the same level as Mahomes, because that's just too high of a standard, but you need a quarterback who can create on his own. And we saw that tonight like how much that benefits an offense. I bet the Chiefs are fairly, I mean, of course, they're happy they won the game. They do not seem to like the Titans very much. I I think the history between these two teams and just, it's another window into why the Titans win games we don't always think that they should win. It's just like everything you see from them, everything you see from the teams that have lost weird games to them in the past, you can just tell that they hate playing them, that they just think playing the Titans sucks. And, it, you know, it got so chippy in the, in the um, early stages of the game. And it was just like, The Ravens oh. and the Titans had those, like, fights pregame. You know what I'm saying? This is, a, like, a, a totally. nasty team. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey chucking his helmet after, like, a like a tipped ball. Like, a not even his fault right. not interception. His fault. It's just, like, it's just, you, just, you just play this team, and they're just constantly shoving you to the line of scrimmage. They're constantly punching you in the mouth. The super physical tackler is just, like, nothing is as free as it was. It's, it's not a fun team to play. The number one thing you talk about when you talk about like beating this Chiefs offense is like, okay, they'll play too high, you know, zone, do blitz. It's make it not fun. Make this team have to feel like yes. they're methodical. Make it feel frustrating. Make it feel physical. Make, make, it is a bad day to play football for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's what the Titans do is they, they you know, coaches love to say like, we're going to take them out into the deep water, right? Like Dan Campbell said this on like a hard yeah, they thing. they do it. Yeah, we're going to bring you out to the deep water. We're going to show you we're tougher than you are. And like, we were built for the muck. We're built for that. No, Vrabel just does. Vrabel's Titans team, you never get to play your football against them. Never. Why do the Colts never need beat to the allude Titans? to a murder threat <laughs> right. to go about can it? You, can you imagine making that speech with Jared Goff in attendance? Right. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine like, what? making that speech in your life? Like, football is so weird. They're just, like, threatening each other's lives left and right. Right. Imagine saying that to anyone you know. What the Titans do is they just, like, flick you. And, like, the first time they flick you, they're like, oh, I just flicked you. And you're like, oh, it's a flick. I don't care. And they just keep doing it. And they just keep flicking you. Every play, they just flick you. And you're just, like, by the end of the game, you're like, God, can you please stop? This is so annoying. Now, but, but this entire philosophy, which wins them the AFC South every single year, which gets them in these this, this close game against the Chiefs. They like beat the Bills last year, right? Like it, it helps them contend with these AFC contenders. That was a lot of contending, whatever. That same philosophy is then the Achilles heel because it becomes time to convert any third and four plus. And they just like Malik didn't attempt to pass beyond the line of scrimmage on third down until I think the fourth quarter when he tried to hit Austin Hooper and probably should have gone to DPI, but didn't. Like, they just don't. And then there's no Traylon Burks. I understand that. Like, you know, they, they got Kyle Phillips. He's been a little slot separator for them. The league's the backup quarterback. They're down in terms of resources with Tannehill. Obviously, they're going to be better in those instances. But that is then the trade-off. Is when you when you build it this way to zag so strongly where other teams zig, to be so predicated on physicality, right? Even as Steven brought up, like, how they run the football, like they they want to be downhill with Henry, right? Like all these other play action teams try to stretch you horizontally and then throw behind you. The yeah. Titans go right at your throat. The Titans go downhill, duo, inside zone, between the tackles, between the tackles, right. and then they throw play action on you. And it feels like the end result is the same. Oh, they're getting play action in the middle of the field, but it's not because they're, it's a different style of football. And when you put Malik in, you need to work horizontally. You need to use his legs, use flow to widen the field, get easier throws, get him outside the pocket. They do that in the first half. The, t- the Chiefs find an answer defensively, and then they're nowhere. They're nothing, right? So they they they, they do become one-dimensional, and that's how you get, like uh, Nathan Jenke of, of PFF was tweeting it out. They had like eight straight drives starting the end of the second quarter and moving through the third and the fourth quarter where they did not pick up more than 10 yards. Like net net play net yardage over eight drives was like 23 yards and they, they're, just, they're just totally empty and that's so frustrating as Stephen brings up because Malik has enough talent Derrick Henry has enough talent that you should not be this limited on offense when you had a week to game plan 
Like you, you had to have known that Tannehill was going to be a game time decision. You had to have had more in your pocket. You needed to have more reliance on zone read. You needed to watch more Ravens film. You needed to watch more Trey Lance film with the Niners. You needed to watch more Justin Fields with the Bears. You had to have come in with more. You had the Chiefs yes, where you wanted amazing. them. You had nine points from Mahomes <laughs> in the third. You had them. And to not have enough on offense to finish that is really frustrating. So you've seen two weeks of this. Do you feel like they haven't designed enough of a game plan around Willis to learn anything about him from, you know, the this game and, and the Texans game combined? Or have you learned anything about him in the last I, two weeks? Do you I, think? I don't think so. I don't think the Titans were trying to learn anything from these games about him, to be honest with you. I think they were just trying to win football games. And it, it was it, it is a weird situation. Like, Tannehill's playing status is up in the air. It's not like we they know he's not going to play and they're they're changing the offense for a specific amount of time. They're kind of doing this week to week. So I give them a pass in that regard. But how hard is it to install a couple more zone reads? I mean, I'm sure they were practicing it yeah. during training camp. Yeah. And then it's not only that, but meshing that with the passing game, like you never saw like play action off of zone an RPO. read. Or an RPO. Like, I, I just yeah. don't. I can't fathom how you draft him, and I'm a, I'm presuming you watched his tape at Liberty, and didn't think let's add some RPOs <laughs> to our offense because yeah. that's all he ran at, at Liberty. And like the the reliance on screens is extremely frustrating because a screen is less likely to work if the defense is expecting the quarterback is going to feel like they need to spy the quarterback. Then calling a screen is calling it into the teeth of the spy. It's like the defense right. has placed a player two yards off the line of scrimmage whose job is to just kind of like watch and make sure nothing weird happens. You call a screen, you're asking right. for Nick Bolton four-yard tackle against Dontre Hilliard, knocking you out of a, a you know potential field goal range or potential go-for-it situation, what have you, right? Like they were, they 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 really felt like their third down call, even their second down call when Malik Wilson took the huge sack in overtime was a delayed tight end screen. There's a linebacker just there. They, they, the Chiefs have a linebacker at the second level in case Willis leaves. So like you're you're not calling plays that maximize the value of the quarterback's legs, right? Like they, And they did early on the script, and then they got away from it, like in terms of the boot and stuff like that. Against the Texans, it was fine, so it was the Texans. Against the Chiefs, you cannot leave that on the table. If there's anything to be learned from Willis two games starting with the Titans, it's that the Titans don't think he's ready for anything. They don't, like, they did not call a standard drop back at, like no, like hey, like yeah. read out the front side. Even the even the stuff he threw was like read out the backside. Just pick you have one on one, take it. Never did they ask him to like choose anything with his eyes. What was that? The the second to last play of their last their drive in overtime, all of the receivers were blocking. It seemed like yeah, yeah that that was the tight end screen. It was supposed to be a screen. It so it, it it's meant to look like max protection. Tight end stays in the block. Running back stays in the block, and we send three routes deep. But instead, the tight end, after blocking for a moment, releases for a screen. And now we've got your entire defense 20 yards downfield because they all ran with the routes, and we just dump it off to the tight end right outside the pocket. Eagles love this with Dallas Goddard. Run it all the time. Uh, Swain, the tight end, releases a little bit too late. He holds his block for a little bit too long, which messes with the timing of the play. However, a quarterback who's, who's started a few games or at least has run this play a few times is comfortable enough just kind of leaking back in the pocket, just taking a little bit more time, letting pressure come to him, and then dumping off to the tight end. Right. Willis, like, there's not even any pressure. Willis just feels the time that he's held on the football, drops his eyes, drops the ball, and starts scrambling around. But scrambling on a screen is a cardinal sin. There's nothing to be gained. You, you can't scramble draw right. a screen. The, the line's already down the field. The receivers don't have their eyes on you. Like, there's not. You cannot scramble on a screen. And he scrambles, and it breaks the entire play. All right, any last thoughts on this one, guys? I think we would be remiss to not say two things. One, for as frustrating as the Titans offense was, Derrick Henry's so unbelievable. I def I, I came into the season thinking, all right, if Derrick Henry looks like he looked, like if he looks like he's looked before, easy comeback player of the year. And in the first few weeks, I was like, oh, darn it. The foot injury killed him. He's not the same. Nope, he's back. Just took us a few weeks. We're good. Uh, Henry looks unbelievable. It's crazy. And yeah. And then the other side of the football. Having watched what Josh Allen did against the Jets this week, there's not a single quarterback in the league you could have put in a Kansas City Chiefs uniform and they would have won this football game besides the guy wearing 15 tonight. Holy Moses, man. Uh, just the, the, 
the scramble to the touchdown and then the scramble to the two-point conversion is just such a stupid, irritating. Like, the Titans won the down. They won it both times, and it just doesn't matter. Unbelievably talented player. Uh, Mahomes and Henry, the two best players on the, on the field tonight offensively, both carrying their entire team, and it's a three-point decision in overtime. Yeah, I think Mahomes is like... It, the conversation is over for the rest of the year, in my opinion. He's QB1. He's the best quarterback in the league. Josh Allen, no. Even, like me saying Justin Herbert had a chance, no. I'm not even going to mention the Dolphins quarterback. I'm not even going to mention it by name or the Eagles quarterback for that matter. It's Mahomes. He's MVP. He's the best player ever. Let's stop the debates. I know they're getting like people are getting tired of him and bored of him, but tonight was another example of him. Just the rules don't apply to him. The laws of nature do not apply to him. He's playing a different sport. All right. Well, we can't stop the debates because we work in sports media, and that would be bad for us. Steven saying no do podcasts. Yeah, Steven saying no more debate. He's QB on the rest of the season when he's the guy who does the QB rankings every week. Very interesting choice. Yeah, and just wait until uh, we get to the Chargers uh, section of this pod. I I might say some things about Justin Herbert that are irresponsible. Very excited for that. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, We're going to get to winners and losers next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, let's get to winners and losers. Steven, who's your first winner of the day? My first winner is the Miami Dolphins. Another big game for the the two anon agenda, the two anon MVP can, uh, campaign. Thirty five to thirty two win over the Bears. There was a point during this game where I felt like the Dolphins might score seventy points. I think they had almost thirty at halftime. Uh, it didn't seem like the Bears had any chance. Anything they did played man coverage. They just throw a slot fade to one of these just meta human wide receivers they have in uh, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. <laughs> Goes for 143 yards, and it felt like he could have gone for 250. I feel like, and I'm not trying to harp on Tua's arm strength or whatever, but there was the pass interference call on in the first drive where he left the throw kind of short in the end zone. Ended up being a good play. And there was a third and six play later in the first half where Tua just smoked his guy off the line of scrimmage, which was wide open by at least five yards. No, no players between him and the end zone. And Tua throws another one of those lofted go balls that just hangs in the air forever. And it lets the Bears cornerback get back into the play. Like, I'm already close to making an argument that Tyreek Hill should get an MVP vote. If some of these throws are thrown in stride, I think he has 1,500 yards already. And and I don't know how many touchdowns he has on the year, but he has five more. Add five more to it. He is an amazing player. And I think that the concept of this offense is... We like talked about it during the offseason of what it could possibly be with these two speed guys in a Shanahan offense. We've never seen anything like it. It's exceeded expectations somehow. And it's gone yeah. beyond to uh, like I'm, I'm beyond even discussing how good Tua is at this point because it doesn't matter. The offense is so good. The offensive line is doing an amazing job. Mike McDaniel is scheming it up. So Tua has just a wide open pocket on 80% of throws. Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill are just getting wide open. Mike Kosecki is getting open. 
Uh, we saw Jeff Wilson, Jeff Wilson's first game. He has a long run. Yeah. He has a touchdown pass out of the backfield. It, this he offense, there's, there's a new layer added to it every single week. And I think by the time we hit the playoffs, it's going to be this machine. And coming into this week, I would have said the Dolphins have no chance of catching the Bills. After watching both of those games, I think the Dolphins beat the Bills when they play in the second game. I know the first game, like it was kind of, it was a weird game. The, Bill, the Bills were on the field for like 60 or 40 minutes, 50 minutes, and the Bills were missing a bunch Ton of secondary injuries, players. Turnovers, yeah. But this team matches up so well with that defense. And we'll get into that later when we talk about the Bills and Jets game. Mike McDaniel, he's him. He's him, man. He He's way <laughs> better than I thought. I had high expectations. If, I thought he was going to be one of the better like Shanahan assistants, but he's checked every single box. Tua is making the right throws. He has a, a, a big enough margin for error for even when he misses. It still turns into a big play. The defense is concerning, but I think as Bradley Chubb gets more involved, that will solve itself a little bit, and the offense is going to be able to do the rest of the heavy lifting. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you how you felt about the AFC East and if if the Dolphins would have a chance to win it. Because the Bills are are a game up in the loss column, but, you know, it's kind of anybody's game at this point. I- I'm with you on all of that. I must mention, Stephen, Yes. The Bears' offense actually outscored the Dolphins' offense in this game. And I feel like the other it quarterback did. deserves some credit for a fairly good performance. Justin Fields runs for a NFL quarterback regular season record, 178 yards. This Bears' offense has scar- scored 94 points in the last three games. It's good. It's not it's, unimpressive. No, it's not. And I think that... Uh, we might need to revise some takes from earlier in the year when we were talking about how the supporting uh, cast gives, gives no chance to Justin Fields. Like, uh, apparently that's not the case because they are scoring a lot of points. And Justin Fields did have a good game. But he had a good game in a way that I don't think translates towards him being a better quarterback necessarily. Like, he scrambled a lot. They, they got him involved in the run game again, which is a smart thing. I think the Titans should take a cue from the Bears and see what the Bears did when they changed their offense midseason. <laughs> but right. he did. He completed two passes over five air yards, or, two, or 10 air yards. I forget which one it is. He, ba- he barely threw to the middle of the field. He had, a, he had a 25% off-target pass rate. The NFL average this year is 10%. He had a 25%. That's not ideal. And if you, just, if you look at non-play action dropbacks, it, dro- it goes to 36%. By the way, Justin Fields leads the NFL in off-target throw rate at 19%. So this was actually worse than his season average. So I'm going to pump the brakes on the Justin Field type, like his touchdown pass to, to Mooney. I mean, if he missed that throw, we would be talking about it. It was a wide open throw. So I'm not giving him too much credit, yeah. but the scramble. He, he, okay. Credit where I it's think, due. He didn't miss it. 10 of 16 no. on third down. Like, Yeah, I think he flipped like a very, a very important switch. And this has made the difference where he is a more willing scrambler than he was in the past. And he's like, he's making that decision quicker. He's getting through his progressions yeah. quicker. I do give him credit for that. And that's why I think you're seeing his athleticism play a little more than it did in the past. It's not just the design runs. I think he's a better scrambler than he was. And that 60-yard scramble, I've never seen a quarterback make a play like that. I've never seen a quarterback look that, look that fast since Michael Vick was playing. It was an amazing play. And that's the one reason why I will say I was too quick to like cancel him and write him off. It's because he has so much talent. And if you could just harness that, which the Bears have figured out how to do over the last three weeks, you can make a functional offense out of it. And they're doing they're more than functional. They're they're kind of fun to watch. Like just because he can break a play like that at, at pretty much any moment. And now that he's doing it more willingly, they're at least exciting. So I think they deserve credit for that. Uh he's the first cool Bears quarterback of my lifetime. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, you mentioned that uh, maybe if if a couple throws were in stride, that Tyreek might be getting MVP votes. My first winner is the Seattle Seahawks beat the Cardinals thirty-one to twenty-one. I wanted so badly for the take to be that Geno Smith is going to get MVP votes. In my heart of hearts, I just, I think Mahomes is going to make that really, really, really tough. 
but it's not unreasonable. And I think if that happens, the second half from right after he throws the pick six, Arizona goes up 14-10. From that moment on in this game is a part of the MVP voter PR package, right? Because that happens. And from that point onward in this game, Gino leads the Seahawks on a 13-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Then he goes on a 13-play, 81-yard touchdown drive. Then a 5-play, 81-yard touchdown drive. He has started this year, begins the year, and we're like, oh my gosh, Gino looks so good in this system. He's executing the McVay offense. It's smooth. Then starts to add the deep ball in a little bit. It's a little bit more explosive than we were expecting. It's a little bit more explosive than we thought it could be in, in the early weeks when it was like, oh, look at this stable system quarterback not doing the Russell Wilson stuff. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, there's a little bit more scrambling. He's simultaneously in that second second half, he's dropping back. He shouts out the O-line after the game. He's letting plays develop. And then you get a third and seven at midfield, and he's keeping the ball in an option play, running at 18 yards. And it's just like, Geno Smith is like, he can do everything. He's the ultimate weapon. And he really, he's, I, I, I wish I weren't laughing right now because he really truly is yes. one of the best quarterbacks in, in the NFL this season. And it's not that he's like part of the best, one of the best systems. Like Geno Smith is really, really the driving factor in this offense. And so I can't quite go there with, he's going to get a bunch of MVP votes because I I still don't know who looks at football right now and goes, yeah, I'm giving my vote to Gino over like Mahomes. But right now, Joe Burrow has better MVP odds than Gino Smith. Like, that's silly. That's silly. That's not reflective of what is actually happening. So it, he should at least, he should be getting MVP talk segments. That's I want to do my part in this. Yeah, he at least deserves a vote. Him coming back from that pick six, that's just resilience that you, like every time, and I totally. tweeted this out, every, every time you expect like the Gino, oh, Gino's turning back into a pumpkin talk to start, he comes back and just kills it immediately. Like he just comes back and gives you the best drive he's had all season. And, and in the totally. second half, he was, he was doing zone reads, he was scrambling, he was like making changes at the line. I think he like checked into the zone read that he, where he ran for a big gain. It's he's literally doing a little bit of everything. Like there's the deep stuff, there's the play action stuff, there's the scrambling, there's the the pre-snap stuff, there's the stuff in the media where he's like being a really good teammate. Like we we saw the moment with Tyler Lockett when Lockett had the drop passes last week. Yeah. I mean, he's not the MVP of the league because Patrick Mahomes exists, but he's the MVP of the Seattle Seahawks. And that's a that's like a a high bar to clear with how much talent they have on that team. Like, especially on the offense, when you think about like DK Metcalf and Tyler and uh, Tyler Lockett, they have a lot of good players. And it's hard to argue against Geno Smith being the best player on that team this year. He actually, honestly, he might get a couple of votes just because people do kind of have Mahomes fatigue. Yeah. Tony it's Dungy. A more uh, fun story, at least. Tony Dungy voted for Bobby Wagner that one year. He might throw Geno a, a vote. <laughs> Bobby Wagner jumping over the jumping over the line on field goal today, just like old times. Very exciting. He, Tony Dungy might throw him another MVP vote this year. Yeah, just for that. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to losers. Who's your first loser? My first loser is the aforementioned Buffalo Bills, who lost to, to Zach Wilson. I'm not even going to say he lost to the Jets. He lost to Zach Wilson, which Josh Allen did, and and officially. I feel like conceded the QB1 debate that I think was starting to boil Josh up Allen this... lost to Zach Wilson. Is that what you just said? No, that's the headline. No, that's not true. I think uh, the Jets win, and this was a complete performance by the defense. I do not want to take any credit away from the defense. I thought, and I've been critical of Robert Sala. I think they have really turned things around. And you could just see with how the players on the Jets defense are firing to the football and just relentlessly pursuing it, that they totally. have bought in completely to whatever he's selling. And buy-in, I feel like, is the most important thing when you're an NFL head coach. I don't care about, like, your scheme or whatever, your X's and O's, your schemes, your play calling. You need to get guys that will buy in, and, and Salah clearly has that. And then I thought the offensive plan was very smart. Like, it was like, Zach, we are not going to let you make uh, turn over the football. He found a way. 
he got strip sacked. It cost the, the Jets three points. That might have cost them the game if Josh Allen didn't lose his mind a couple times. But they call a lot of quick game, a lot of RPO. Even on third and long, they were not letting him throw the football. They were like, you're throwing a screen pass, and that's it. That's all we'll let you do. He made maybe two Career good high throws. completion percentage. Only completed uh, two passes beyond five yards. And the first pass was a wide open throw to Garrett Wilson that he actually like made him contort his body to catch, which was pretty bad. But the second throw was legitimately good. It was like a sidearm throw. But... It was it was good enough from Zach Wilson. The running game really worked against the Bills, and I think that's why I'm so concerned about this matchup with the Dolphins later in the year. Because one thing I will say about the Bills' defense, as good as it has been, they do the same thing over and over again. Like, they don't line up differently. They don't throw exotic looks at you. They don't change their personnel. They play the same, like, few coverages every down, or every, every other down. And I think against a smart, offensive coaching staff that you can kind of take advantage of that. And I think a Shanahan coaching staff in particular is going to be good at hitting a target that isn't moving. And I would say that's what the the Bills defense is. It's a non-moving target. And when you give Mike McDaniel or Mike LaFleur or Kyle Shanahan a week to prepare for that, they're going to come up with some good stuff. And you saw it in this game. They won this game by running the football. And that's a concern, a concern for this Bills defense that I hasn't really shown a weakness before this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think they really miss Matt Milano in their run defense. But you're right. It's this, you know, it's it's derived from the same system. And if their best offensive game plan for the Jets is basically, okay, Zach Wilson, manage this game, don't make mistakes. We're gonna run the ball for 174. Like that is a winning formula for this team. Then if you make it the Dolphins offense instead, that's a big problem. So I can see it, but I I, I don't I, I think part of it is personnel. I, I just think that he's so explosive, good for a couple big plays, a couple key stops per game, and then that presence allows the guys on the back end to you know be in their rotations and and be able to make things because that's how they make things confusing on offenses, right? Is like how well that secondary plays together. Right, and how right. they can disguise looks and how they rotate. And I, I think you lose a little bit of that if they're sort of compensating for who they have, like fitting fitting the runs. And, and Milan is a big part of that for them. But I, I, I think that makes sense to me. I'm excited to see that game. I don't know when they play, but that'll be a good one. And we, ha- we might have to talk about Josh Allen because that's two weeks in a row where he's looked like 2019 Josh Allen. That is not a compliment. It was, I, yeah. I do think that, the Jets' defensive line played a big role in this, and I want to give them credit. Like, their defensive line is so good yeah. right now. Quentin Williams is so good. If Aaron Donald didn't exist, I think he's the best interior defender right now. And their edges are playing really well. Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, uh, the rookie. He's wears number 47. I'm not going to be able to remember his name. Huff. He's playing very well. And I think that took a toll early on Josh Allen. You could see his feet start to get a little excited in the pocket. He made some throws that he... He made some he missed some throws that he wasn't missing earlier in the year. And I thought after the first month, like, oh, all of the silliness in Josh Allen's game is gone. He's figured it out. He's ironed out his game. He's like a real There's adult quarterback There's always more now. silliness. No, he's the silliest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I, I was stupid for thinking that. And the silliness came out today. The first interception was like legitimately hilarious. He just threw it right to a guy. There was like, he didn't get fooled. It wasn't a bad decision. Like, it wasn't like he didn't get fooled into a bad decision. It wasn't a bad throw, like accuracy wise. He just threw it to the other guy. And then the second interception to Sauce Gardner was even worse somehow. Like, I think he thought he had a whole <laughs> shot and, and Sauce Gardner just kind of like floated into the throwing window and it, he hit him right yeah. in the chest. Two bad interceptions. He could have got intercepted a third time in the fourth quarter. Not yeah, a good game for trying. Josh. And yet, the final throw of the game was maybe the greatest throw I've ever seen on a football field. He hits Gabe Davis in stride, in the face mask, 70 yards downfield, doesn't get caught, game over. The Josh Allen experience in full today. I, I think he gets the benefit of the doubt just because like, because of who he was when, we, when he came into the league. I think every time Josh Allen does something exceptionally silly, it's like, oh God, he's going to fumble while trying to sidearm a throw and hurdle a guy like we never know what can happen. I, I do think that 
he has been a consistently excellent quarterback for long enough that like, yes, you got to accept that the sillies are part of the package, but I'm, I'm not particularly worried about Josh Allen no, is no. what I would say. I, I, I also I think, think this of- Jets defense is top 10, might be top five. Um, I mean, they, they barely had to blitz and they sacked him five times. I'm putting Sauce Gardner in top 20 defense conversation, like top 20 defensive players. He yeah. is a complete cornerback already. He, I know he, he got burnt by uh, Stefan Diggs on the first drive, but that, that's going to happen to any corner that gets that left ha- yeah. one-on-one with Diggs. But he, it's not only the coverage, like he tackles. He's a willing tackler, and He's I think so that helps. He's so physical. Yeah, it's just a complete package. The ball skills are incredible. Totally complete player. DJ Reed, I also thought, was really good in this game. Yeah. Like, they, a, they they were really good against that receiving core. And I, I, this was certainly not Josh Allen's best game, but I'm much more inclined to, to say this Jets defense is really legitimate. And yeah, they, they played they a large role. They can win role pretty much game. any game like this. I agree. I agree. My first loser, the Los Angeles Rams. They lost 16 to 13 to the Bucks. They went three and out on. Eight out of 12 possessions. Offense continued to be abysmal. Nine total first downs. It's the lowest total in any game coached by Sean McVay. The offense is the problem. We know this. If they'd gotten a single first down on their last drive, none of this happens. That said, I need to talk about their last series on defense. So we're we're not letting the offense off, off the hook here, but like none of that was new. We know that... They just really can't. They don't. Nothing works for them this season. And we've talked about this. Their defense actually played a really good game. They kept them in until the Bucks' last possession. And then all of a sudden, when Tom Brady has to throw, like the, the Bucks are so stubborn and they don't just commit to throwing the ball when it's like the only thing that they can do effectively. All of a sudden, Brady has to throw. There's 35 seconds to go. He has to go 60 yards, get a touchdown. The Rams just go into this soft zone the whole way. Brady completes six passes, gets the touchdown. They win the game. The Buccaneers now lead the NFC South. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, this is the... When everybody on Twitter is tweeting, ha, 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 I've seen this before. It's like, doesn't the coaching staff feel like that? Don't they feel like they know what is going to happen if... You barely defend the sidelines and just allow Brady to march down the field. The only category of offense with a positive EPA value was Bucks early down passes. They gave up so much for like the entire game by not doing that as much as they could have. And then all of a sudden they just have to do it. And I, I couldn't believe that the Rams just were like, oh, please go ahead. So it, Rams get the L. It makes no sense based on just not only Tom Brady's history, like he's made a career out of killing that same exact coverage on the, the in those same exact situations for 20 years now. But like just focusing on this Bucks team, which can't protect him when he has to hold on to the ball long. Right. And doesn't have receivers who can separate and get open against man coverage. Playing soft quarters where he can get rid of the ball in 1.5 seconds and throw a hitch route out to the perimeter, which is like a throw he's made his career off of. It makes zero sense. And I know it's easy to say that in hindsight, but if you would, were to ask me, like, what's the worst possible strategy to play against Tom Brady in the two-minute situation, it would be that. And they did it all the way down it's the a, field. It also, like, it's not even a two-minute situation, right? Like, it's a terrible coverage against the particular quarterback, the particular personnel that you're facing, the particular offense that you're going against, which, like you said, has protection issues, wants to get rid of the ball really fast, and has experienced receivers, but doesn't have a lot of guys who can create separation on their own. And they absolutely have to get to the sidelines. They have to. Yes. There's not two minutes left. There are 35 seconds and they have to go 60 yards. It's just like, defend the perimeter and you'll be fine. Do like one of those things right and you'll be <laughs> fine. You it, also have Jalen Ramsey. You have Jalen Ramsey. Right, Please play like- man coverage. <laughs> Please put Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans and then make Scotty Miller beat you. Scotty Miller, who's dropped like three passes at this point. It's just like, it it, it, it really boggled my mind. It, it was, yeah. it, it, the mind was boggled. That's what I got for you. 
And it's not, I feel bad because it's not their fault. Like the, the Rams scored 13 points. Yeah. They are the reason they lost this game. But still, there was, you had one job and couldn't do it. That's all. All right. I think I owe you a winner. You do owe me a winner, Steven. All Thank right. You. The Cincinnati, come to the Cincinnati Bengals. The C- Cincinnati Bengals beat my Panthers 42 to 21. The, the, the Panthers turnaround that I thought was coming after PJ Walker took over the quarterback position ended abruptly. He was benched for Baker Mayfield, one of the saddest moments of the week. Uh, but the main story here is the Bengals scored 42 points. And they scored 42 points after a week where they lose Jamar Chase. They struggle to score against a bad Browns defense. But then here comes everyone's get-right game now, the Carolina Panthers. I, this is another another defensive game plan that just boggles the mind. Like, have you read anything about the Bengals for the past two months, about their offensive struggles, about what is giving them the most trouble? The Carolina Panthers came out in the first half and played man coverage against the Bengals, and maybe you have more confidence to do that with Jamar Chase on the sideline. But you still have T. Higgins. You still have Tyler Boyd. You still have Hayden Hurst. You still have all these weapons. You still have Joe Burrow, who's like the best quarterback at those back shoulder fakes that kill man coverage. Joe Burrow averaged almost a full EPA per drop back against man coverage against the Panthers in the first half. Now, in the second half, they realized that was a bad strategy and they started playing coverages that have given the Bengals problems this year. But in that first half, the Bengals just went to town on that on that defense. And I do think it's a good sign that they were able to run the ball. Joe Mixon, yeah. I think Joe Mixon had like five touchdowns. It was a big Joe Mixon game and he's been pretty, he hasn't been very impressive up until the last two weeks. So that was a, a good sign for the Bengals offense. And Joe Burrow was able to hit on some downfield throws without Jamar Chase, which is another good sign. But I still don't think this is a sign of progress for this Bengals offense. I think this is more like what we saw earlier in the year where they had two good games against the uh, the Jets were one of them and the Dolphins. And these were defenses that didn't copy the other teams that had success against the Bengals offense. The Panthers fall into that category. So it was like a throwback for the Bengals to 2020 or 2021 when they had all this success. I don't think it was proof that they've solved their 2022 problems. I think that remains to be seen. But the fact that they're still moving the football without Jamar Chase is a very good sign for this team. And I think if you look at the standings and their playoff odds, even if they struggle for the next couple of weeks, they have a margin for error to work with in the AFC because the AFC is not very deep. After last week, I didn't see that team scoring 42 points without Jamar Chase in the lineup. So I, I think that's a that's a positive for them anyway, slice it. I didn't realize that this was the Queen City Bowl. It was. It it was it was not a close matchup. Big Cincinnati stuff. is the Queen City. That's a tough Gotta get a new a nickname. Tough L. Baker Mayfield that's did come in bad. and throw two touchdowns. Baker May- Mayfield come back? Baker Mayfield revival? Yeah, you think? No. No, not at all. <laughs> he will be benched next week for PJ Walker, and the cycle will continue. It's beautiful. It's the circle of life. Uh, all right, Stephen. I think we've gotten to the point of the podcast where I have to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, which oh, I have no. to be honest with you is a moment that I've been dreading since we began. <laughs> but my next winner is the Vikings. They beat the Commanders twenty-one to seventeen. Um, they have a five-game lead in the lost column on the rest of the AFC North. For the problem with the Vikings is like all I know how to do on the the pod is just like tell you facts about them. Like it's like when Belichick sometimes filibusters by just like essentially reading somebody's Wikipedia page out loud. Yeah. Uh, so four of the Vikings' seven wins have come in games where they were trailing in the fourth quarter. They have a worse point differential than the AFC East losing New England Patriots, but they're going to host a playoff game. Yeah, this um, is amazing. Kirk Cousins had his shirt off on a plane today. Like, what has happened? With jewelry on, like copious amounts of jewelry. This is, this is, I, I got to say, and, and is Kevin O'Connell the, the most anonymous rookie head coach to ever start 7-1, and one, by the way? Seriously? I don't think I've ever, I've never heard him talk. I've never seen a press conference. I've never seen anyone like praise him. I've never seen anyone throw his name out there for coach of the year. Like, it's like the Vikings are seven and one and no one is buying into it. No one believes in it. I don't even know if Vikings fans are, but it's like, it's, it's cool. Like, good for them. I'm not going to hate on them. Fine. But it's like everything is kind of working for them. Even so they, they trade for TJ Hawkinson. 
He catches all nine of his targets. He goes for 70 yards. Total proof of concept for why he's helpful to Cousins, helpful in this offense. The first catch he makes is a third and five between the hashes. Cousins mostly looked for him in situations like that. Opposing defense is selling out to defend Jefferson. Um, He was pass blocking a little bit. It all works. And the pass catchers are really, really, really spectacular. Like, there's barely a play when Jefferson can't suddenly, like that touchdown at the beginning, it was like he wasn't open. And then all of a sudden, he's just like up in the air and he's open. Yeah. I And I, I think the, the Hawkinson trade is a good sign for them. Like it wasn't, I don't think that was a trade that was like, oh, we're six and one. We're, we're buyers at the trademark, uh, the trade market. I think Kevin O'Connell realized, oh, this isn't real right now. We need another layer for this offense if we're going to actually be a team capable of winning games in the playoffs. So I, I like that like proactive move. But like when you look at the underlying numbers, it's very clear that this is a house of cards that's going to tumble at some point. And like just knowing Vikings history, you know this is going to end poorly just in the the worst way possible. And Vikings fans know this. But, like, enjoy it while it lasts. They're, they're 15th in, in offensive uh, EPA. They're, like, 14th in defense. They're, like, a, a completely mediocre team. Any way you look at it. Like, even Kirk Cousins, who's usually, like, putting up these stats. Does he still have him. a zero EPA? I don't know. I have to check it. That's, that was, like, my favorite stat of all time. Zero EPA. 50 percent, 50% success rate. Just the most... Right down the line, quarterback of all time, and and this is like his perfect team because that's like exactly the what they are. Thing. It's you don't even you don't know that he was there, and yet he's won a one score game. I feel like I haven't watched the Vikings play one snap this season, but I also feel like I've watched every game. It's very it's like a not a memorable team, but at the same time, it is memorable because of that. How do you know what Kevin O'Connell's mindset was about the Hawkinson trade when you've never heard him speak? That's a good point. Maybe I'm just like Kevin O'Connell. Is he even real per, a real person? Like the Kevin O'Connell was inside of us this whole time. The real Kevin O'Connell is the friends we made along the way. That's right. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I gotta say, I don't really want to see Kirk Cousins with his shirt off <laughs> again <laughs> this season. <laughs> I could say that once is enough. Once was probably too much. I think that's enough of that. But I'm I'm happy they're happy. Love to see the joy. Love to see the celebration. Yeah. When you go seven and one, you can take your shirt off. I like if they win the Super Bowl and Kirk Cousins takes his shirt off, he's earned it at that point. But before then, I'm with you. No, no, no more I disagree. The until then. I disagree. Oh, really? He, he got he had one, he had one card to play and he played it. He played it. He beat the Washington Commanders. Um believe it was the a, a you like that anniversary. And that was when he chose to 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 do that. He does not get to again. Okay. Okay. I'll approve that. It, it, it kind of feels Thank like you. we should be giving them more credit because they are seven and one. But I don't think we've learned anything about this team. And we're, we are going to learn a lot about this team next week because they play the Buffalo Bills. And if this team is for real, we will know it by this time next week. And we will give them more credit on next week's show. I look forward to it. All right. Who's the next loser? Uh, my next loser is the Green Bay Packers. But I feel like it's really Aaron Rodgers. They lose 9-15 to 15 to the D- Detroit Lions. The Lions, the, who have one of the worst defenses we have ever seen. They scored 9 points. Aaron Rodgers goes 23-43 of 43 for 291 yards. One touchdown and three interceptions, two of which came deep in the red zone. I don't think it's a hot take to say that Aaron Rodgers lost them this game. The defense played a lot better. I think the receivers didn't play well, but they didn't play poorly either. AJ Dillon, I feel. Are we done with the AJ Dillon exper- uh, experiment? Like I feel like I he was, I his best role is a, as a lead blocker now. It's sad to say, but like the two running back personnel package has not worked. Aaron Jones is the best player on that offense right now, and he should touch the ball as much as possible. But we need to talk about Aaron Rodgers now. Before I watch this game, I had seen bits and pieces on Red Zone. I had seen the tweets about it. I assumed Aaron Rodgers was going to look a lot worse than he actually did. He made like five plays where it was like, 
oh, that's the Aaron Rodgers that we're used to seeing. Like, he got outside the pocket. He scrambled for one long uh, first down. He made some throws on the move. He made some throws out of structure. There was, like, a very impressive fourth down throw to keep the game alive. But I I think he's, like, 10% worse, and it just looks a lot worse than it actually is because the personnel is so much... uh, It's taken a hit. You not only lost Devontae Adams, you lose MVS, too. And we have talked about the Chiefs losing Tyree Kill, but the Chiefs actually attempted to replace him. They didn't like go, af- go after a big star, but by committee, they kind of figured out a way to fill in the gaps that he left when he got traded. The Packers did the opposite of that. They not only got rid of Devontae, they got rid of his number two receiver, and then they, they draft a project receiver in Christian Watson who wasn't going to be ready to play. And then Sammy Watkins... That was that was their big uh, their big move with the money they saved by trading Devontae Adams. I, I do think there's a talent issue around Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is part of the problem too. But this game in particular, I think, exposed them because you had a you were playing a team, a defense that has been so exploitable and in the ways that the Packers haven't been able to move the football and the fact that the Green Bay wasn't able to take advantage of Detroit's defense tells me that I don't think there's a way for them to fix this. I think it's over for this season. Like, this team is not making the playoffs. It's not good enough. That's what Lil Wayne said. Aaron Lasweezy tweeted, "Yeah, RIP to the season. We should have gotten rid of 12. You hate to see it. And it's hard to disagree with them. I, obviously, that's a hindsight take. Like, hindsight 2020, but can we disagree with him? And at what point do we start wondering if they should get a look at Jordan Love? Well, okay, so uh, I want to go there, but before. Do you think, so before the trade deadline, they obviously didn't get anything done, but they were in on Claypool. Um, they were in on Darren Waller, apparently. and DJ Moore. Um, yes, and DJ Moore. I knew there was a third one. Would any of that have helped? I do think so. Because like I said, I think Aaron Rodgers, there's still like five plays a week where it looks like he still has it. I think part of the problem is just his attitude towards this receiving core. I think he's kind of like taking it out on them by not throwing them the ball as often. But he's thrown it to David Bakhtiari in the end zone. Yeah, it's 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 bad. But I think like if you add a receiver into this, a legit number one receiver, it kind of makes the other pieces fall into place and, and raises everyone up like 5%. And I think that's a that's the difference between where they're at now and where they are they were at last year. Obviously, you're not going to replace Devontae. He was everything to that passing game. But you have to have something more than this. Like these receivers are just I don't know how you can make a functional offense. Like a functional offense is going to compete in the playoffs with this receiving core and it's easy to say now, but even looking back in March, that was always going to be the case. And I don't think there's a front office that's better at leaking the, oh, yeah, we were in on that player also, but he went somewhere else than the Green Bay Packers have been for the last like couple of years. Yeah, well, it's going to be very interesting to see if uh, all stays happy in the kingdom over that stuff because we've heard a lot, heard a lot this offseason, heard a lot at the beginning of this season about how there was more open dialogue between the quarterback and the front office there. Um, and I wonder if philosophies are aligned over whether or not, you know, because look, if they presumably there's a number for most players, right? Like there's a number where the compensation goes high enough. The Panthers are going to say yes. The Raiders are going to say like whoever it is. So if they if the Packers felt like, okay, well, it, it's just too rich for our blood at this point, we're getting no from the teams that we're calling. I, I wonder how well that message goes over. And maybe it goes over fine. Um, we've heard that, again, there's a lot more open dialogue there. And to Aaron Rodgers' credit, like <laughs> the, the shots he's taken have been at his teammates so far this season not the yes. front office not who's picking the players so growth. Um, that's great we haven't gone there yet but but i'm curious if it'll start to happen yeah my in, in my one argument uh to the people that are that would point out that this team values draft picks over over 
like veteran players trading for veteran players is pull up the draft history for this team over the last five years. Yeah. I don't know if this team is making the best use of those draft picks. That 2020 draft was the beginning of the end. They drafted a quarterback who never plays and then basically two lead blockers in, in DeGuara and Dylan. Good draft. Well, maybe maybe Jordan Love will start getting to play. Maybe, as Aaron Rodgers said, might be time to start cutting some reps. <laughs> so the players making I, mistakes. I have a feeling Number that's 12. not going to happen. Number 12 is on that list, by the way. Prominently. It's not. I mean, he's playing really badly. I, I agree with you. It's not on all on him, but the decision making's bad. The physical execution is off and on. I agree with you. There'll be like five throws a game where it's it still looks really, really good. But if it were anonymous player X, that's a very real conversation. I, I just I don't think it's happening. No. Although I will say the Zach Wilson, the Zach Wilson, Aaron Rodgers comps have never looked better. He looks, <laughs> he looks like Zach Wilson right now. Zach Wilson came back to him. All right. Zach Wilson completed 72% of his passes today. No, I'm, I'm not saying he let the world on fire, but let's, let's be nice to the young man. <laughs> All right. Last loser of the day. Oh, oh gosh. The Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Chargers 20, Falcons 17. I just want to make sure before we end this podcast that everyone listening knows how much of a falconing took place today. Because the Chargers did everything, everything within their power to try to lose this game. But they scored two touchdowns in the second quarter, essentially because Justin Herbert, all on his own, was just like, oh crap, it's third and long. Everything's screwed up, whatever. I'm just going to go six for six on third down in this quarter and complete a bunch of passes to like Josh Palmer, who's suddenly the number one. And they score twice in that quarter. Outside of that sequence, they get two field goals, one of which happened after a play where the Falcons recovered Austin Eckler's fumble and then they fumbled and the Chargers got it back. Drake London had a turnover where... Khalil Mack just like took the football from his hands. Like it, just like it took it. Like he was taking something off of Yeah, it was I don't know what to call it. We need he a just, new like, genre. It was a new genre of turnover. It was like a handoff. Like the, the football play it resembled most closely was a handoff. It's like a zone read. <laughs> and he gave it. Uh no, and like the <laughs> yeah. the, the game losing fumble was also like not a forced fumble. They were like they're finding new ways to fumble the football just unbelievable like uh, the the worst part was probably that they let the chargers linebackers like make adjustments on them but uh, the falcons had no business losing this game they come out the first drive is like okay there's 12 different personnel groupings somehow like five different skill position guys touch the ball you can totally tell what arthur smith thinks of that chargers linebacker crew and after they scored, I was like, oh, all right. Good night, Chargers. This is going to be it. Then all of a sudden, it's like Drew Twank Tranquil is making play after play after play. And they're just like, oh, uh, we are going to sell out against the run here because Mariota is going 12 for, of 23 for 129 with an average depth of target of 15 yards. Like, <laughs> this man was so erratic. It was so strange. I just can't believe they lost that game. It was it was a hilarious game and it like just a chef's kiss to like a tribute to both of these franchises and their their long history of just the worst most cursed losses possible. I'm surprised the game didn't end in a tie. Yeah, but like the the Chargers vastly outperformed like the outcome for the Chargers was vastly better than their performance. Yes. Yeah, it like, was this it was does terrible. not qualify as a chargering. Because they played abysmally and still won the game and, and scored some points. Yeah. It, and I think the thing my, that my contention is that a charging did not occur here. This was pure no, foul. I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I think it was like, it was a light charging. Like there was a, a dropped interception or dropped pass that turned into an interception. I think like Gerald Everett dropped a deep pass down the field that was wide open. Right. It was like a, this offense was pitiful on first and second down. Like if, if it was, wasn't a stuffed run, it was a penalty. If it wasn't a penalty, it was 
a tightly contested throw to nobody. It it was a bad offensive performance, but like you said, Justin Herbert on third down, just put the super uh, Second Superman quarter, cape on. He was on. perfect on third down, and that was that was it. That was the only thing they did in the game. It just it just so happened that it was enough to win. Yeah, it was just like save us on third down, Justin Herbert, and like this was legitimately one of the most impressive quarterbacking performances I've seen all year because it wasn't even like on third down. He had it easy. He had to like avoid pressure and step up in the pocket and break the pocket and then like throw right. across his body to com- to convert on third and six. It was a heroic performance for him. He saved the Chargers season. Like if he, if any other quarterback in that situation, I think they lose by two touchdowns. There's, if three of those plays go differently, they with Justin Herbert still lose by two touchdowns. Like, yeah, and, and the, the reason why I say that is because, like, it was his particular brand of quarterbacking that, like, allowed him to salvage those plays. Like, he's so quick at responding to pressure. Right. And their offensive line was just horrid today. It was so bad. And it did not affect him in any way. And that's why he leads the NFL in sacks. I thought Jonathan Vilma was, like, he commentated the game for Fox. He was the first person that I've seen, like, like first person on a broadcast acknowledge that the reason why they lead the NFL in sacks isn't because the offensive line it's because Justin Herbert gets through his progression so quickly. And you saw why that was important today. That's what made the passing game viable because the receivers and the offensive line and the play calling for sure certainly did not. All right. We will close out the show with our non headline story of the week. And Oh, in this one, we as the ringer NFL show, send our our sincere congratulations to Doug Peterson, who today moved into fifth place in the Jaguars all-time coaching wins list with a whopping total of three. Uh, and by leading his men to mount a 17-point comeback and beat the Raiders 27 to 20, Doug Peterson moved ahead of storied Jaguars coaches Urban Meyer, Mike Malarkey, and Mel Tucker. So on behalf of the entire Ringer NFL show family, we extend our congratulations to the Jaguars and to Doug Peterson and his family. Steven, would you like to say any words? Just a, a truly impressive feat. Uh, it's going to go down in the football history books. It, he passed Mike Malarkey. Mike Malarkey got hired as like a... He wasn't an interim coach. Like I think Mel Tucker was interim. Mike Malarkey got hired to be the, uh, the coach for a full season. Presumably more than two seasons or one season, and he ended up only winning three games. This is this is very depressing stuff. But I I do want to say something, and I know you you're Go not ahead. supposed to give Urban Meyer any credit for anything, but the Travis Etienne pick was pretty good. <laughs> he left that was his parting gift to the Jaguars, and I think today Urban Meyer could be like, "You're welcome, Jacksonville." I would be very curious to see if 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 he tried to pull that takeoff anywhere. Um. But yeah, if I'm him, I'm doing look, that. I'm, even a broken clock, right? Yeah. Now, now it was a first round pick on the running back, which kind of like got to take that with a grain of salt. But he is a good player. At least like Urban, he doesn't know who Aaron Donald is. He he kicks his kicker during warmups. He hires uh, strength and conditioning coach, coaches from that have been tarnished. But he knows how to draft running backs in the first round. You can't take that away from him. <laughs> Well, congratulations to him as well then. Um, Just kidding. But congratulations to Doug Peterson. Very exciting. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. Delightful as always. This has been the Ringer NFL Sunday Recap Show. Thank you for listening. Sheila Kapadia and Ben Solak will be next up on the feed tomorrow with Extra Point Taken. I will be back on Wednesday with The Island. Then Sheila will be back on Thursday with The Scramble. Then the Ringer NFL Preview Show with Danny Heifetz, Ben, and Stephen. We'll have you covered previewing all of next week's action on Friday. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for production on this episode and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision. Mm-hmm.